Well, happy Sunday to you. Happy New Year. Uh, man, I'm glad to be back. I missed you guys, but I'm so glad we gave our volunteers much needed rest as we head into this year. Well, we're going to be in a series this week and next week called Habits. And as we get into the new year, there are some things that are really useful for us to do, some maybe best practices. And we're going to look at two of those uh, this week and next week. Now, growing up, certain words were not allowed to be used in our home. And you might be thinking it, it, it was it was the right, it was the bad words. Well, for us, it wasn't just the bad words. We're talking about the Christian cuss words. Darn, heck, freak, stupid, and suck. And for example, suck was never allowed to be used. And maybe it is because it sounded like the real word, the real bad word, or sounded like another word, or just didn't sound nice. My parents didn't allow us to use those words. I remember my dad sitting me down and telling me all the bad words that I was not allowed to use. And then they explained that to keep me from saying those words, that we shouldn't even say the Christian words, that the safe words, because if we begin saying those words, we're going to put ourselves in dangerous territory to say the real bad words. Now, I remember getting my mouth washed out with soap because I said the word suck. Now, my brother's whispering, I know what he really wanted to say. And even to this day, when I'm angry, I'll use that word. And believe it or not, I feel incredibly bad. I feel guilty for saying that word. I can still taste the after effects of Irish Spring. Now, look, maybe you're new to faith or maybe you're new to testing the waters and uh, faith and what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And this may sound incredibly odd. I believe this was based on really good intentions from my parents. I think they wanted the best for us as kids. They wanted us to grow up to be moral, ethical people who were able to get into and finish college, to hold down a job, to hold down a career, to get married to a good, moral, ethical person, and in turn, we would have good and moral, ethical kids. I really, truly believe that's what my parents hoped for us to be, and, and we turned out to be that way. But as a kid, but maybe for you, you learned how to change your behavior to get a desired outcome. Right? There's a cause and effect to changing and modifying our behavior. But we figured out how to monitor our behavior, manage our behavior to avoid unpleasant effects like discipline, being grounded, getting into trouble. Right? We figured out this pretty young. And I don't know about you, but... Like later on in life, we begin to change and manage our behavior to get dates, right? to get an interview, to get a job, to get an invitation to the party. Like we, we modify, we manage our behavior, we change. See, regardless of your background, maybe how you were raised, all of us are prone. All of us in this room, those watching online, all of us are prone to starting out knowing what we need to do, and yet we find ourselves not doing what we know we should do. And this usually happens because we're not attending to what's happening on the inside. That's why we wake up, we look in the mirror, we start attending to things, right? We, we make sure that we have a good appearance because that's what other people are looking at. When we go to school, when we go to the office, when we go to the car line, when we go to the gym, we want to make sure we have something together here. We want to make sure that we're 
So what put together? And that makes sense. But there's only one person who has been given the responsibility to be attentive to what is going on in your heart, going on in your soul. And that is you. Our creator, our maker, Jesus, has given you and I that responsibility. This is where integrity comes from. We live in one of two ways. Either the outside, what we're projecting to people, isn't what's really happening on the inside, right? We're pretending. Or we're very real, we're very authentic. So what's happening on the inside comes out on the outside. Like, we're very real. A healthy heart, a healthy soul has no tolerance for pretending. Like, it's difficult to sleep, to look people in the eye, to sit in the same room as someone, to hear someone's name, to engage in conversation, right? A healthy heart, a healthy soul has no room for lying, pretending, or manipulating. See, the flip side is that when our health, right, when our heart is not being attended to, we're not healthy. We're not healthy. We convince ourselves that we can manage the pretending or the lying or the manipulating, right? We can manage all of that. But the truth is, it eventually breaks down and the truth breaks out. And we all have the potential to be someone that we don't like. And you and I have been given a responsibility from our Creator to attend our heart, to attend to our soul. And the health of your soul, the health of my soul, determines our integrity. See, when the news breaks out, let me ask you a question. When the news breaks out about someone getting caught, in a lie, and secrets are exposed. Have you ever thought, how can they live with themselves, right? How could they live with themselves? I mean, I couldn't live with myself. And maybe for us, we think that our conscience wouldn't allow it. Like we would never find ourselves in that situation. We would never find ourselves in that spot. But here's the truth. The truth is that if we do not attend to our heart and soul, it only takes one decision to give into a thought, into a temptation, into an offer, and then it begins to snowball into much more, something that we never expected, maybe something we never wanted. Jesus taught on something that all of us have observed in either ourselves or in others. So one day, the Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they're complaining that his disciples didn't observe the tradition of the elders. And so basically, they didn't wash their hands. And so let me give some context. So there was a tradition which was referred to as the oral Torah. They were unwritten rules passed along verbally since the time of Moses. And they were safeguard or boundary rules. And so kind of like my parents put in place for me um, not to say the Christian cuss words. And they were passed down for generation after generation in sync with the written law. So it all started with Moses. He was given the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis Right? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right? He was given those books, he wrote those down from God. He wrote down everything that God spoke to him. And then God gave Moses explanations and examples of how to interpret the law, but he did not write them down. So Moses passed those oral traditions down to Joshua and then so on and so on until the time of Jesus when it was finally written down as viewed as legal authority. So here's an example. 
the written law in the Torah, in the law, forbade doing business on the Sabbath. Well, the oral tradition that was passed down and passed down until it became legal authority during the time of Jesus forbade him laying money on the Sabbath. So basically, you don't get your wallet out because if you get your wallet out, then you're going to be tempted to do business on the Sabbath. So it was like a safeguard boundary. And yeah, very sincere, well-meaning. In our modern sense, it was basically like this. The, the oral law answered this question, what can I do without sinning or how far can I go without sinning? Now notice that the Pharisees complained that Jesus' disciples didn't wash properly. Uh, the written law, the Torah, included strict dietary laws. Like they weren't able to eat bacon. And I don't mean turkey bacon, I mean real bacon. The oral tradition put in place a hand-washing process to ensure that nothing unclean accidentally went in to their body. So they made hand-washing as much of a law as not putting certain things into your mouth that were written in the Torah that were offensive to God. It would be like saying, if you don't wash your hands for the time it takes you to sing happy birthday silently two times, you're in trouble. Okay, so here's what happens. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, guys, I need everyone to listen up and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. He's saying what people eat does not put them in danger. He doesn't, it doesn't put them in danger of sinning. And then Jesus walks away. See, the law was not given to please God, but to protect people. The law was put in place for two reasons. To provide structure for a different life that God wanted his people to live that were different than the nations around them. And that they needed forgiveness because they were going to miss the mark. There are going to be things that were written down in the law that they were not able to do. They were going to lie. They were going to cheat. They were going to um, want something that didn't belong to them. They were most likely going to use the Lord's name in vain. Those things were going to happen. So it provided them structure for a different life and that they needed forgiveness. The disciples are confused, so they pull Jesus aside. Okay, Jesus, we need you to explain this. And he says, are you still dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And imagine the disciples thinking, I mean, Jesus, we know how biology works. But think about this. The focus of all their lives has been what people can see on the outside. No rabbi addressed the heart and soul of a person. How many of us grew up in a family like that? How many of us grew up in a church like that or a religion like that? But the focus was what people saw, not what people couldn't see. The focus was always on how do you present yourself on the outside, not dealing with the stuff on the inside. And Jesus continues, he says, guys, but the, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. He's like, you, you guys have seen this go around all the, you guys have seen how Romans treat each other, how Jews treat each other, how Romans and Jews treat each other. You've seen it. These are the things that defile them, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating? 
with unwashed hands does not defile them. See, everything harmful to us starts out as a thought or a temptation. Like that within itself is not a sin. But when our heart is left unattended, that thought becomes a series of thoughts, then a plan, and then executing that plan. Other times when our heart is left unattended for a long time, it's just one thought that's enough. And then, bam, next thing we know, we're in a situation that's very messy, seems unforgivable, seems that we are not able to get out of it. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile a person. When our heart is unhealthy, it will leak and eventually reflect the condition of our hearts. Mark adds a few more, which most likely came from interviewing Peter. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from the inside and defile a person. I mean, let's look at the list. You have murder and malice. And then you have adultery, sexual immorality, and lewdness, or indecency. And then there's greed, theft, and envy. And then there's false testimony and slander, then arrogance and bad judgment or folly. Like, do you know anyone? Let's be honest for a second. Do you, do you know anyone who lost their family, lost their career, lost their reputation over these things? I do. And I was shocked because they, from the outside, seem to be good, moral, honest. But in reality, they were not attending to their heart. They were not attending to their soul. And they were managing those thoughts. They were managing those temptations. They were managing their human condition, their sin nature. And for some of us, this is our story. It was never, it was never your intent. It was never my intent. It was never our intent to hurt people. And yet you wonder how you got here. Started out small, manageable. And then it snowballed into a mess that we could not manage. Guys, it's really important that we we attend, we monitor our heart to the things that Jesus mentioned. I mean, let's just take a few of them and kind of work through them. Like, let's look at guilt for a second. Guilt says, I owe you. That's what guilt says. Guilt says, I owe you. I have a secret, so I owe the person the truth. I owe someone restitution for what I took from them. I owe someone an apology for what I've done to them, for what I've said to them. When guilt is not monitored, our heart begins to leak. And it leads to the things that Jesus talked about. Bad judgment. Arrogance. The solution to guilt is to confess. It means going up to that person and confessing to that person. Confessing your sin. Confessing confessing what you did wrong to them. And then you have anger. Man, anger says, you owe me. Like someone took something from you and you're not getting what you deserve or what you want. They took your childhood. They took your virginity. They took your first marriage. They took your reputation. They took your money. And they, and listen, you believe they owe you. But here's the case. And in most cases, they couldn't give back what they took from you. You're stuck. 
stuck. You're angry. And when that anger is not, not it, yeah, if your heart is not monitored, if it's not attended to, man, that anger will grow and your heart will begin to leak. And the solution to anger is to forgive. And in case you think that's impossible, Jesus models that for us. And not only does he model that for us, but he gives us his spirit to actually have the strength and the power and the ability to do it. Um, I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and this, this, this just spoke volumes to me. The person said, forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. And they were talking about how Jesus tells Peter, you have to forgive 70 times seven. Basically, you're going to forget how many times you've done it. And the, and the truth is that forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. How about greed? Greed says, I owe me. Greed is a tricky one. It is a tricky one because it's hard to see in the mirror. We say things like, I'm just being careful. I need to be responsible. I'm preparing for the future. Like all of those sound really wise. But the truth is, greed, just like anger, puts us at odds with Jesus. See, the solution to greed is generosity. It's understanding that just because something comes to you doesn't mean it's for you. Like when you get that bonus, when you get that raise, when you get that additional income, when you get those, maybe those death benefits, it, it, please think about this. Just because something comes to you doesn't mean it's for you. And then we have jealousy. Jealousy says, God owes me. And deep down, deep down inside, it comes down to our contentment with our creator. Why didn't he make me healthier? Why didn't he make me smarter? Why didn't he make me richer? Why didn't he make me prettier? Why didn't he provide me with a better opportunity, a better family, a better spouse, a better friends, a better job? Why didn't he do that for me? And the solution is to celebrate what God has given you and what God has given others. When these are left unchecked, they have the potential to rot our heart, rot our soul, and they will defile. They're going to pollute. They're going to rot, and they're going to put us at odds with Jesus. And left unattended, they will ultimately define you. They will hurt you and those around you. So a question that I want to ask, is everything okay in your heart? Is everything okay in your heart? Earlier, we mentioned that when we wake up, we look in the mirror, we start attending to things. We attend to our appearance, right? We want to make sure that we have ourselves sort of put together. But when it comes to our heart, when it comes to our soul, God's word is our mirror. Our soul is what makes us different from the rest of creation. We're created with a soul to relate and engage with our creator, Jesus. See, in reading his word, it's like going to the mirror each day. Notice what James says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And it looks, it's not about how much you read. It's about how much the Spirit reads you. It's not about how much you read, but how much you connect with God. So man, start small. Try a Bible plan. One chapter a day. Start with what you like. Man, it's a great time to start with the first four books of the New Testament. Start today. 
So two questions to think about. Which of the four are you most prone to manage rather than monitor against? Guilt, anger, greed, or jealousy? Which of the four are most difficult for you to do? Is it confess, forgive, give, or celebrate? Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for an opportunity to understand that you've given us responsibility to monitor our heart and soul. Father, I ask that you will prepare us to do that really well. You've given us the spirit to do that, and I ask that we will surrender to him. I ask that we will put ourselves in front of your word each day over the next days, weeks, and months ahead, and that not only do we put ourselves in front of the word, but we allow the spirit to read us. So Father, help us to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.